This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. We are um, continuing our series. We're actually finishing our series that we've been in the past three weeks. This is the fourth week that we're calling uh, Making Room. And so this series has been a really cool journey for us um, as a faith community, just kind of discussing, you know, what it looks like to make room at the table, what it looks like to make room at the table in our conversations, what it looks like to make room at the table in our relationships, what it makes, looks like to make room at the table in just in our lives. And so in week one, we talked about love and forgiveness. I'm just going to catch you guys up to speed before we move forward. We talked about love and forgiveness and how the foundation for us to have open, real conversations and open, real, safe relationships with people across the board, for us to do this love and forgiveness are at the foundation. To receive the love of God and reflect the love of God. To receive the forgiveness of God and reflect the forgiveness of God. In week two, we talked about this idea of equality and kinship and how we're all in this together. We said that, you know, um, God created everybody. God crafted and created everybody. And every single person is broken and flawed, me and you included. Some are more broken than others. Some are more flawed than others. Some have seen some things more than others, right? But in spite of all of that, God loves us all, everybody. In all of our brokenness, in all of our fracturedness, if that's a word, he loves us all, everybody, right? And we looked at John 3, 16 and 17, where we said, for God so loved the world, everybody, that whoever calls on him, will not perish, but have eternal life and the whole deal. And then it says in 17 that he didn't come to condemn the world, but to bring life. And so we talked about that. And we talked about how there's this kinship, this equality, there's this humanity, we're in this together. And then last week, we talked about diversity within the family. We talked about in how in our nuclear family, it's okay to be super diverse and have different opinions and different thoughts and different choices and all that. But for some reason, within the church family, we feel like unity equals uniformity. And that's not the case. Unity and uniformity are not the same thing. That it's okay to have diversity within our faith community. Obviously, there's close-handed issues, but there's a lot of open-handed issues too. And on those open-handed issues, it's okay to think different than somebody else and still be in the same family together, right? And so we talked about that, this this unity in, in, in our diversity within the family. And so today, we're talking about unity outside the church. We're talking about how we kind of interact and have relationships, and have influence outside of the church. People who believe differently than us, who think differently than us, who live differently than us, and being intentional about that, and looking at how Jesus kind of did that. And so, um, as I grew up, I grew up with a, an extremely eclectic group of friends, right? And maybe some of you have the same sort of story, but I grew up with like a ton of different like spheres, and a ton of different circles, and a ton of different, I had, I had my group of neighborhood kids, I had this group of kids that lived in the neighborhood and we grew up together. We played roller hockey together in the streets, right? Wayne's World was totally accurate when like, car, and they like moved the nets to the side and then the car would game on, right? Like that was my life growing up. We had our neighborhood kids where we played roller hockey till the streetlights came on. Then we had to get home, right? You remember that? Like you could just go do whatever. My parents didn't care what we were doing or where we were, but when the streetlights were on, if we weren't home, we were in trouble. Right? We're like tagging buildings and throwing smoke bombs in grocery stores and streetlights are on, gotta go home, right? Like the streetlights were the thing that was important. 
Um, you know, we played roller hockey, we played football, we'd go up and play baseball together. So I had that crew of friends, right, that we were just mischief and all that stuff. And then I had my church kids, because we lived over on the east side, but then we went to church over here on, like, in this church over here on 12 Mile. And so I had my, my church sphere of friends, and my church group friends, where we went to youth group together, we had kids' church together, we went to summer camps together, right? We had lock-ins and went to concerts and conferences and all that sort of thing. So I had my neighborhood group that was totally different than, like, my church group. I mean, we got in the same amount of mischief with my church friends, but, you know, we all talked about Jesus. We all cried on Sundays and repented and all that stuff, so... Um, and then Monday we were back at it. I had my church friends. I had my sports friends. I grew up playing sports, playing, uh, you know, baseball and basketball and football and ran track and all that stuff. So I had that group of friends that were like the, oh, you know, the meathead jock guys, whatever. And so I had that group. But then I was also kind of this weird conglomeration because I was super into music. And so I played music growing up. And so I went through like punk rock phases. Did anyone in here go through like a punk rock thing where, yeah, okay, yeah, all right. Where, like, you know, I had, like, mohawks and big giant gauges and colored hair, pink hair, green hair, whatever. And so I went through that whole phase. So I had all these different, like, spheres, right? So I, there, here's this, like, guy on the basketball team playing in low-top Chuck Taylors when everyone else is wearing Jordans, right? I'm out there like, oh, yeah, I'm punk rock, dude. Down with the establishment as I'm playing high school organized sports. Um, and so I had all these different people groups simultaneously, right? And, and I've always been attracted and drawn to just different people and different things and kind of spicing it up. I, I, I tell people a lot that I'm a jack of all trades, but ace of none, right? I'm just like, I'm in all kinds of stuff, had my hands in all kinds of things growing up. And I feel like I'm a pretty eclectic guy with a bunch of different eclectic, eclectic relationships and people in my life. And as I'm saying this and describing this, many of you are thinking, yeah, that's me. Yeah, same thing here. I had, I had all kinds of different things going on. Even now, when you think of your friends and you think of your, your interactions throughout the week and, and what you involve yourself in, you think, man, yeah, there's a lot of different crazy people in my life. And I can, I can kind of connect with that and I see what he's talking about. Others of you, though, some of you in here, you're like, eh, not so much, you know? Like if we looked at your friend group, it would be like you carbon copied yourself, but then just in different shapes and sizes, Right? I mean, that, that's the case. And some of that has to do with our personality bend, I feel like. I feel like, you know, we're drawn to people with similar personalities to us uh, occasionally and all that. But when thinking about this topic today, about us as the church, us as followers of Christ, connecting with people, influencing people, having relationships with people, having real-life conversations with people who are different than us, I was like, man, that has to happen. That's what this whole thing is about. That's what this whole series is about, is, is about us making room at the table for people that we don't necessarily picture at the table all the time. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at Jesus and gain some insight in how we should sort of conduct ourselves with the people who are outside of the faith. How we should conduct ourselves and how we should approach people who are outside of the church. How we should interact with this sort of, of, of thing. Because in the past, it hasn't, I, I'm not sure that the church has handled it the right way, right? In the past, oftentimes Christians insulate themselves with Christianity. Like, oh, we gotta go to Christian skate night. We can't go to Great Skate any other night of the week except the first Monday of the month because they play jars of clay when we go, right? You're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? In the past, we've insulated ourselves from the outside world thinking, oh, us four and no more. We're going to party with Jesus. And it's like, whoa, wait a second. Is that really the model that Jesus laid out? Is that really how Jesus calls his church to interact? And so let's pray together. And then we're going to kind of jump into Matthew chapter nine uh, together. So let's pray. God, 
Thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this awesome time of worship that we got to spend together. Thank you for the time we get to just hang out and talk and be in community with one another. And God, I pray this morning that as we open your word, I pray that it would speak truth to us. I pray that we would engage your word, that we would encounter you this morning. I pray that you would soften our hearts, pray you'd open our minds, you'd make us receptive to what you have for each and every individual in this room today. God, we open ourselves up to you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. So uh, if you have your Bibles, your tablets, your phones, or whatever, uh, you can open it to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 10 through 13 this morning. Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, because I feel like what this does is it gives us a very, very clear depiction of the heart of God. A little snapshot here in these three verses gives us a really cool kind of indication of where the heart of God is because we believe that Jesus is the full depiction of God, that Jesus is the full representation of God. The way of Jesus is the way of God, right? Because Jesus was fully God uh, on the earth, right? We, we call him God in a bod, right? Jesus is God put on flesh, right? And so we believe that the way that Jesus approaches people gives us an insight to the heart of God towards people. The way that Jesus approaches things in life is the heart of God for the things in life. And so the way Jesus interacts with these individuals, I believe, is the heart of God for these individuals. And so in Matthew uh, chapter 9, verse 10, I'm going to start there, and I'm going to read it in three different versions, because I feel like each version gives kind of a cool little snapshot, a diff different little kind of nuance to it. And so in the NIV, it says this. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners with quotes on it, came and ate with him and his disciples. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And then the message kind of gives another sort of cool idea to this. It says, later, when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. I think that's funny. I feel like that's something like a mom would say. I don't like you hanging out with those disreputable characters, right? <laughs> It's like later when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. And then the English Standard Version, I love the way that they put it. They say, and as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Guys, this is such a cool snapshot of Jesus. Because so often we picture Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount and he's exhorting. Or we see these pictures where he's like sitting on a rock and there's all these creepy kids sitting around him, right? We see these like Sunday school paintings of Jesus and all this and we're like, man, that's, that's wild, that's crazy. But this snapshot of Jesus is so cool because I feel like it gives us uh, just, just a little caveat of, of his heart for humanity. For his heart for tax collectors and sinners. Because these tax collectors were like the worst back in the day, right? Like you hate tax collectors now. It was way worse. Sorry if there's any tax collectors in here. Um, it was way worse back in the first century, right? These people were just like putting the gouge on God's people and just like ripping them off and taking advantage of them and oppressing them. And it was a terrible thing. And so the tax collectors were like the worst back then, right? And so Jesus is hanging out with these dudes and then he's hanging out with other people that are known as air quotes sinners, right? The outcast, the social outcast, the bad people, the, the worst of the worst, right? And Jesus is hanging out with these people. It says that he's reclining at the table with them. First of all, in the first century, for you to go and eat at someone's house, that was a big deal. I mean, even now, you don't invite someone that you don't really trust on some level to come eat at your table at your house, right? I mean, you at least have to like 
know them a little bit and feel pretty comfortable with them to invite them to come into your home and eat at your table with your family, right? I mean, am I way off base with this? No, right? So Jesus has this level of comfortability in the first place. He's going to Matthew's house, who's a tax collector, and he's reclining at the table. Jesus is straight up chilling, right? He's straight up just like, yeah. And, And we know, as human beings, we don't get, yeah, unless we know the people, unless we're comfortable with the people. Right? We don't, we don't, you know, uh, it's as if you, if you subscribe to the, you know, European Aryan race Jesus that's in all these paintings that's like blonde hair, blue eyes, and flowing. It's like Jesus let his hair down, if you will. Right? If you subscribe to that image of, of Jesus, whatever. It's as if Jesus kind of let his hair down and he's just chilling with these people. It means he's relaxing. He felt comfortable. And you know what? They felt comfortable with him. It's not like Jesus was there like, ooh, I'm gonna do some ministry today at this lunch. This is gonna be great. I'm gonna show them the seven ways to salvation. It's gonna be incredible. No, if he was doing that, they'd be all tense like, it says Jesus reclining at the table and these people are reclining with him. They're relaxing with him and he's eating at a tax collector's house. Guys, this was a super intimate experience. It was a huge level of intimacy when you invited someone to dine at your table in the first century Middle East. That was a big deal. Typically, there was like a foot washing ceremony that would take place before you could even enter into where you're going to eat food, and they're all sitting around a table, and it's not like they were distracted with all their devices. I mean, they were straight up hanging out with one another in a real, personal, intimate setting. And so Jesus is doing this with tax collectors and sinners, the social outcasts, the worst of the worst. And this was not the typical norm. This is not something that rabbis did. This is not something that teachers of the law did. This is not something that pastors or preachers of the time did. Even people who were just upstanding citizens, they didn't even do this. Like these are the people that you kept at an arm's length and you're like, yeah, no, mm -mm, that's not gonna happen, right? And so Jesus is doing this. And so all the religious elite or the the church at the time, if there were so-called Christians at the time, it would be these people. These are the people who are in covenant with God. They see this and they're, they're, they're just like totally freaked out by it. They're questioning Jesus' actions, saying, what is this guy doing? This is not what we do. This is not how we do things, right? This is not proper protocol for this to go down. And so in Matthew chapter nine, verse 11, the very verse, next verse, it says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Everyone's standing around saying, why is this, what is going on here? Why is he doing this? Why is this rabbi? Why is this healer? Why is this teacher? Why is Jesus, the the, the proposed son of God, why is this guy hanging out with those people? Why is he spending time with those people? Does he not know, did he not get the memo? The church doesn't hang out with those people. People who are cool with God don't hang out with those people. So why is Jesus hanging out with those people. Why is that going down? And so Jesus hears this. It says um, in verses 12 and 13, it says, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. He's like, man, y'all got it all twisted up. Y'all got it all twisted. He says, figure out what this means. Take a minute, chew on this. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is basically saying here, man, he's like, y'all got it so twisted. Y'all got it upside down. You got it so backwards. He's saying, hey, all you religious people, guess what? 
It's not about being religious. That's not the thing. That's not what it's about. That's not what's up. That's not the heart of God. It's as if he, say, he says, listen, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Guys, this was paradigm shifting for these people's understanding of who God was, right? Because all throughout scripture, we see that God is revealing himself to us and we're gaining a deeper and, 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 and more vast understanding of who he is. This is a pivotal moment in us understanding who God is. God is saying, listen, when he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, he's saying, I have a heart for people, not for rituals and practices and boxes that you wanna put everything in. He's saying, I have a heart for people. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's saying, you guys think that if you do the right sacrifice, you do the right ritual, you go to church the right way, you sing the right songs, you dress the right way, you make this thing and you, you package it just right, that that's what God desires. He says, nah, man, you got it twisted. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. My heart is for people. My heart is for those people and you people and all people. And so he kind of flips the script on him here. This is like a modern day Jesus coming and saying, hey, listen, all you Christians, listen, it's not about insulating yourself with Christianity. That's not what it's about. That's not what pleases God. That's not the heart of God. God doesn't want you to get saved so that you can hang out with all your Christian friends and be saved together. That's not the idea. It's as if he's saying, hey, all you Christians, it's not hanging out. It's not all about people who look like you and think like you and vote like you and act like you and believe like you. That's not what it's all about. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I don't think it's out of line to make the leap here and say that I desire empathy, not conformity. He says, I desire empathy, not conformity. Stop trying to get everybody to think how you think. Quit trying to get everybody to line up with your specific exact doctrine. Care for somebody. Love somebody. Empathize with somebody. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire unity, not uniformity. There's a difference there. And it's paradigm shifting for this first century church. And I think it's really telling, and I know I mentioned this a few weeks ago, it's really telling that all throughout scripture, people who are nothing like Jesus really liked Jesus. And people who were really, really far from God, they really liked Jesus, and Jesus really liked them. And the further from God people were, the more they were attracted to Jesus. And I would say, why is that not the case of the church? The further people are from God, they, the more they should be attracted to what we got going on here. And if they're not, that means we're missing the picture of Jesus. We're not modeling accurately what he was obviously modeling. You know, he was to the point where people were like, if I could just touch his robe, if I could just get a glimpse, if I could just be around him for a second, they weren't like, ooh, I'm full of sin. I gotta get my stuff together and then maybe I'll think about praying about going to see Jesus. They were drawn to him. And if people are not drawn to us as the body of Christ in that same way, then we're not doing it right. And we gotta be real with ourselves and get kind of, hey, what's happening here? I mean, th this, is, this is crazy. Jesus quotes the common thoughts of culture and religious people of that time just a few chapters later, Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. Jesus kind of gives us a snapshot of what everyone else is sort of saying about him at the time. 
It says, the son of man, this is Jesus talking, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is talking about these religious people, right, who were just asking him all these questions. These are what they're accusing him of. This is what they're talking about. And, 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 and see, the church was angry because Jesus was spending time with these people. The church was angry because Jesus was giving them a voice. Jesus was listening to them. The church was angry because of his approach of mercy rather than conformity. Rather than him going in there and cracking a whip and saying, y'all gotta get your life together. You're sinning, you're going to hell. It's on. Rather than doing that, he's reclining at the table, eating at their house, hanging out. And the church is pissed about it. They're like, what? You're doing what? You're hanging out with who? And they're calling him a glutton and a drunkard. He's consistently pissing off the establishment with his radical love and his radical approach to people and meeting them where they were. And he was obviously meeting them where they were because, guys, he was tagged as a glutton. This means my man was eating with these people, right? He was spending a lot of Friday nights at Steak and Shake with these people, okay? He wasn't considered a called a glutton because he wasn't eating and partaking, Okay? He was tagged as a glutton. They're like, this dude's a glutton. All he does is he's eating with those people that we're not supposed to eat with, right? He was tagged as a glutton. You know what else he was tagged as? A drunkard. I'm gonna touch this one with a 10-foot pole, but just saying, my man's meeting people where they are, okay? He's not sitting there with his finger of judgment saying, y'all shouldn't be drinking that wine and all these arguments, oh, it was non-alcoholic wine. Okay, you don't get drunk on non-alcoholic wine. Um, but the thing is, listen, he was hanging with these people where they were. That's the point. He's getting accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he's hanging out with the gluttons and drunkards. He's spending time with them. He's reclining with them. They're reclining with him. He's eating at their table. See, listen, here's the deal. When we have a heart for people, like Jesus had a heart for people, it'll radically change the way we do life. When we have a heart for people, like Jesus had a heart for people, it'll radically change the way we do life. When we view people the way Jesus views people, and I'm talking all people, when we view people the way Jesus views people, unity is the only option. That's the only option when you view people the way Jesus does. Empathy is the only option. There's no room for judgment. There's no room for telling everybody they're going to hell. There ain't room for that. When you approach people and view people the way Jesus views people and feels for people, love is the only option. It's the only option. And if you're approaching people and coming at people with anything else, you need to check yourself and get in alignment with Jesus. See how he came at people. See how he hung out with people. See how he dealt with people. Because we need to come at it the same way. When we approach humanity with love and forgiveness, like we talked about in week one, how we give love and forgiveness as much as we've received love and forgiveness. When we approach people with empathy and kinship and equality, like we talked about in week two, when we approach people with grace and understanding for their diversity, like we talked about last week, and giving some wiggle room and not looking for uniformity, but sticking with unity, when we approach people like that, when we meet people where they are like, and take on the approach of Jesus, like we talked about this week, when we do these things, Guys, listen, our world gets so much bigger. Our world gets so much 
bigger. Our influence reaches so much further when we approach people like Jesus approached people. Our world gets bigger. Our influence reaches further. And you know what we do? We make room at the table. We make room at the table for those people that nobody else is making room for. We make room at the table to have influence. We make room at the table to have conversations. We make room at the table to have relationships. We, have, we make room at the table to experience life change. And I'm not just talking about the other people we're making room for. It's gonna change us just as much. And it's gonna grow us just as much. And it's gonna feed us just as much. When we approach people this way, listen, when we approach people the way that Jesus approaches people, it doesn't matter if their beliefs line up exactly like ours. That doesn't matter. You know why? Because we're empathetic and we have love for them and we want to connect with them exactly where they are. It doesn't matter if they voted like we did. That doesn't matter. When we're approaching people like Jesus approaches people, it doesn't matter how they voted or how we voted. And when we approach people like Jesus approached people, it doesn't matter their sexual orientation. You know why? Because we're approaching them in love and empathy and trying to connect with them where they are when they are there. We are trying to connect with them in any way possible. It doesn't matter what their religious affiliation is. It doesn't matter what their stance is on gun control or non-gun control. It doesn't matter what their background or their baggage or their junk is. It doesn't matter how different they may be, when we come at them like Jesus comes to them, we come at them with love and looking to make room at the table. That's the idea. That's the goal. It's to reach out to people, those people that nobody else is reaching out to and saying, how can I be Jesus to you? How can I be Jesus to you? And the way that you can be Jesus is you come at them with love. Love, 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 love. Read John three seventeen if you have to every single day. Son of man didn't come to condemn the world, but to bring life. Your job is not to condemn the world. Bring life. You ain't gotta walk around telling everybody what's wrong with them all the time. All the time. Tell them what can be right with them. It's a shift in paradigm. It's a shift in perspective. But that's the goal, making room at the table. So our world can get bigger, our influence can reach farther, and life change can take place for all parties involved. And so maybe you're in here this morning, and you're still stuck on what we talked about in week one, the love and forgiveness thing. You're like, man, whew, I'm cool with receiving forgiveness, but giving forgiveness, uh-uh, it's just not happening. No, they crossed the line, and then, uh-uh, there ain't no coming back from that. Listen, love and forgiveness is the foundation of all of this. We gotta receive the love of God, and reflect the love of God. We gotta receive the forgiveness of God. We gotta reflect the forgiveness of God. Maybe you're in here this morning and you're still working on week two, this whole empathy, equality, kinship thing. You're like, uh-uh, they're not the same as me. Uh-uh, we are not the same. Guys, we were all crafted and created by God. We're all broken. We're all fractured. We're all messed up. And God loves all of us just the same in spite of all of our junk. So maybe you're in here this morning, you need to do some business with God and say, God, okay, I need to embrace this. I need to understand this. I need to make this who I am. Maybe you're in here this morning and you're, you're still stuck on last week. We talked about how there can be diversity within the family. It's okay for someone to think differently about something than you. It's okay to have different specific doctrine than someone else. 
We can still follow Jesus together. We can still be on the same team. You don't have to go start your own cult or your own denomination, right? That doesn't have to happen. Unity does not mean uniformity, right? There's diversity within the family of God, and that's okay. So maybe you're still doing business with God over that, but they don't think like I do. Maybe you need to get with God this morning and say, God, check my spirit, man. Check me out. Help me come in alignment with you. Or maybe you're in here this morning and the stuff we're talking about today, you're like, ugh, those people, you know, and you're thinking in your head, oh, surely he means everybody, but, but, but this specific people group. Okay, if you're doing that in your brain and trying to rationalize, I specifically mean that specific people group. Whoever that is for you. That's exactly who I mean. And so if you're wrestling with that and you're trying to shake that down and saying, mm, you really think Jesus would hang out with them? You really think Jesus would show love and empathy and grace and compassion to them? Ugh, you really think, yeah, I do. I think maybe you need to get with God and talk to him about it. Because I, you know, maybe some of us in here this morning, that's the conversation we need to have. But what we want to do is we want to give you guys the opportunity to kind of wrestle with this stuff. We want to give you an opportunity to kind of do business with God and say, God, help me to make room at the table in my life. Help me to make room at the table in my relationships. Help me to make room at the table in my conversations. Help me to make room at the table within my own family. Help me to make room at the table within my workplace. Help me to make room at the table with my friend group. Help me to make room at the table with those who I see on a daily basis, on a regular basis. Help me to make room at the table. Help me to meet people where they are and be Jesus to these people. So I want to give you guys an opportunity to do that as the band leads us in another song. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for the challenge you've given us to be your hands and your feet in the here and now. Many have come before us, many will come after. But while we are here, we are called to be your hands and your feet. We are called to be the body of Christ. God, I pray this morning that we would make room at the table for those who are not like us. God, I pray that we would be your hands and your feet in this generation. God, I pray that we would come with love and forgiveness. God, I pray that we would come with empathy and equality and kinship. God, I pray that we would come allowing diversity and differences. God, I pray that we would meet people where they are and point them to you. God, I pray that we would not be defined by our parameters, but we would be defined by placing you at the center and chasing after you with all that we have and that we would invite as many people as possible to join us on that journey. God, I pray this morning as many of us are, are wrestling with some of these ideas and wrestling with some of these concepts and making them truth in our own hearts and in our own lives. I pray that you send your Holy Spirit to do business with us this morning. That as we open ourselves up to you, as we draw near to you, you would you would draw near to us and you would fill us. That we would encounter you in a real way this morning. God, I pray that every single person in this room would have the audacity to put feet on these concepts and put action behind these ideas and implement them into our own lives. To have those conversations, to reach out to those people, to make room at the table in our own lives and our own spheres of influence. 
God, we invite you to do business with us this morning. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You can go ahead and stand. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.